The scripture reading today is from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. Hear the word of the Lord. You were dead through the trespasses and sins in which you once lived, following the course of this world, following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. All of us once lived among them in the passions of our flesh, following the desires of flesh and senses. And we were by nature children of wrath like everyone else. But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, made us all alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly place in Christ Jesus, so that in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ginny. And good morning to our faithful friends online across the country and around the world, including my faithful mom. Let's pause and pray that our encounter with God's word this morning will change us and shape all of us into more faithful followers of Jesus Christ. Dear God, this is your day, your time, your church, and your powerful word. You give the gifts, and we are here to open our hearts and minds to receive them. In this time together, please sculpt us and transform us by the power of the Holy Spirit into who you want us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Everyone loves before and after pictures. What are your favorites? The rundown houses lovingly restored, the rescue dogs with matted fur and sad expressions on their faces that turn into fluffy, beloved family pets, the people who lose 100 pounds, the makeup tutorial videos, the garages or closets that go from disaster area to perfect order, the slab of wood that becomes a gorgeous table. Before and after pictures are just so satisfying. We love them because everyone loves a transformation story. Transformation stories give us hope and inspire us. They make us believe that our lives can change 
and that we have the ability to change our surroundings. Transformation stories are, of course, a staple on social media, which collectively reached 3.9 billion people in 2022, approximately half of the world's population. So here's an actual verbatim transformation story from the internet, which on the one hand would be a perfect use for our sanctuary screens in a sermon, but on the other hand, maybe not. It goes, a year ago, Sarah, the woman you see here, or don't see here, had just given birth to her fifth child, but was, in her own words, depressed and felt hopeless. She then opened Instagram on her smartphone and started scrolling. A year later, she's down 63 pounds and feels amazing. Go, Sarah. Now, lest we think that there's anything new under the sun, remember that transformation stories have always been staples of classical mythology, literature, and children's literature. The Ugly Duckling, Beauty and the Beast, Ovid's Metamorphoses, multiple Shakespeare plays that riff on Ovid's Metamorphoses, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, take your pick. We're fascinated with before and after. Although usually what we see on Instagram or Ovid is an external rather than an internal transformation. There's something else about our obsession with before and after pictures. Very often they're displayed side by side with a thin line in between the before and after picture. And even when there's a video showing the transformation, the effort in between before and after is usually shown on high speed. No one really wants to watch the guy sanding the tree slab for three days or Sarah doing sit-ups for eight months to get to the after picture. So fast forward, that's how it goes. The literary peril, parallel is often the casting or lifting of some magic spell that leads to instant transformation. Ephesians chapter 2 is a verbal before and after picture, but it's presented in a different way. If you heard today's scripture reading and ran into a wall of theological Greek, fear not. I want you, if you have your bulletin open to the scripture reading, to take a pen, take a pen if you can find one, or if not, just make a mental note of three key phrases that lead us to the point of this passage. The first is verse one, you were, circle you were. That's the beginning of the before picture. Then verse four, but God. Circle, but God. That's the beginning of the transformation. And then on verse 10, circle, we are. That's the beginning of the after picture. The way into understanding this text is, you were, but God. 
we are. And what's completely fascinating is that unlike the before and after pictures on Instagram or in magazines, the most important part is what comes in between before and after. But God. Imagine taking that thin black line between the before and after pictures and expanding it so we can put our focus right there. And instead of fast-forwarding through the transformation, imagine slowing it down so we can make sure to understand the who, the why, and the how. The gospel is good news with a realistic, unairbrushed before and a brilliant, hopeful after. But it hinges on the middle, the but God, which is why the but God section is the longest part of this passage. So let's break it down by those three parts and see why this is good news, especially when we feel like the tired, puffy, weak, before people fighting a losing battles with our fighting a losing battle with our bodies, our minds, and a depressing world. The first part is you were. It's the before picture that always makes us cringe. We would prefer to forget about it or to move on as quickly as possible to the after picture. But that would not be truthful. In a word, which is the key word in this section, you were dead. But this is a picture of the walking dead. The text says you were dead and then describes a bunch of things that people who are living do. Sinning, following the course of this world, following evil, following the desires of flesh and senses. What well, sounds weird? Is it possible to be dead but alive? Yes, yes, and yes. Some of you may clearly remember a time when you were alive but dead. For others, this may be a new concept. It's possible to be physically alive and yet have a dead relationship with God because we're buried under the short-term and long-term consequences of a big pile of sins. It's possible to be physically alive, pouring an enormous amount of energy into following the course of this world, which is a dead end. Our careers demand so much of us, but eventually they flame out or fade out, often having robbed us of what is truly life-giving. Wealth can be put in a bank account for heirs who will fight over it, but you can't take it with you. Success, accolades, and power in the world's eyes may feel good for a while, but eventually all that's left is a crumbling statue of Ozymandias in the desert. There's also a reference in this before picture to following the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work among those who are disobedient. To us, this is another foggy, gray, Halloween horror movie image, and we correctly understand that it refers to evil. 
In the popular imagination of first century Hellenistic religion, they imagined that there was this murky region between Earth and the moon where elemental spirits mixed and made mischief for people on Earth. Life shaped by choices that lead to death and influenced by the power of death makes human beings children of wrath, meaning creatures deserving of God's condemnation. So hold on to four aspects of that before picture. Dead in sin, held down by earthly concerns, subject to demonic powers hovering above us, and children of wrath. Every single one of those aspects of the before picture is about to get flipped on its head. The good news turns death into life, being tied down into being raised up, being under evil powers into being exalted with Christ, and being a child of wrath into being a new creation. Before we move on from the before picture, I do have one caveat. It's possible that you don't see yourself in the before picture. Maybe you think you've never been that disastrous mess of a person in need of a spiritual makeover. Maybe you think that you are studiously avoiding the course of this world and never tempted by the desires of the flesh or senses. The corrective to this is verse 3, which says that we all were, by nature, children of wrath like everyone else. There is no escaping the before picture. I don't listen to a ton of podcasts, but recently, about a year and a half later than most of my friends, I finished listening to all 15 episodes of a podcast called The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill. It's about the explosive growth and later the implosion, almost overnight, of a well-known Seattle megachurch called Mars Hill and its pastor, Mark Driscoll. Every single pastor everywhere of every theological stripe should listen to this podcast as a cautionary tale. But I also recommend it to Christians in any role because it talks about how even the most devout and sincere Christians can veer off track. Almost every church and every Christian can find aspects of the Mars Hill story in our own, even in microcosm. Well, whether our before picture haunts us every day or whether we have it buried away, everyone who is in Christ has a before picture on file. But God. Here is where everything changes. This is where we step into the wide space, not the thin line, between the before Jesus and after Jesus pictures. The entire middle section of this text is about what God does. The good news hinges on God, not us. 
It starts with reminding us who God is. God is rich in mercy and acts out of great love. The negative forces in the before picture are real, but they are overwhelmed by God who is merciful and loved us even when we were the walking dead. Think about what a God-sized job it is to love even one difficult, unrepentant, wayward human being, let alone all of them. But God, God is so rich in mercy and so loved the world, so loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses, that he made us alive together with Christ. We have just celebrated Holy Week and Easter, where we emphasize, rightly so, the death of Jesus on the cross in our place and the miracle of his resurrection. But in that narrative, did you pick up that God brings us with Jesus? If you miss that in confirmation class or Sunday school, listen up. We celebrate not just that something happened to Jesus, but that it happens to us. The gospel isn't for spectators. It involves you. God made us to alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. The book of Ephesians is interesting because it talks about our sharing in Christ's glory in this really immediate, completed way, as well as in the ages to come. Do you see everything in that before picture getting flipped? We're no longer physically alive, but spiritually dead. We can be fully alive now and alive with Christ, even when our bodies fail us as they inevitably will. We're no longer hopelessly lost in this world. We're saved for a better way of life now and an eternal life later. Evil is no longer hanging over our heads as the ultimate power. We know the power that is stronger than evil. We could do absolutely none of that on our own. But God can. For by grace you have been saved by faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the result of works, so that none may boast. Oh, so that none may, none may boast? Oh, well, there, there goes the Instagram post. In all those before and after pictures, in magazines and TV commercials and Facebook posts and TikToks, there's always a boast, implicit or explicit, that transformation happens by the person's own grit and effort. Life certainly requires effort and hard work. But salvation is a gift only God can give. To go back to the Mars Hill podcast for one second, the leaders of that church had to look over the rubble 
of their experience and ask what church is supposed to be. They were grappling with the deeply ingrained culture of works righteousness that had overshadowed the gospel message and left church members feeling like they could never measure up. The free gift of God had gotten lost in the lifestyle. For leaders, a focus on God's power had gotten lost in a focus on their own power. One person in the podcast reflected that if Christianity is a, a competition with all sorts of other spiritual products, you have to ask, quote, what is a church that I can't find anywhere else? Is it unique and you've got a Jesusified version of the do more, be more self-optimization? Or is there something, some message that God can when you can't? That's a modern take on the alternatives presented in Ephesians. There is no gift of grace in a Jesusified version of do more, be more self-optimization. There is only pressure to do for your spiritual life what all the before and after posts want you to do for your body, your home, and your face. Figure out the right techniques and fix it up. That's exhausting. That's lonely and that's ultimately fruitless. The message that we can't, but God can, and already has, is liberating. By grace, you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The gift giver has done all the work created and presented the gift, and chosen you to receive it, not because you deserve it, but because you need it. All you have to do is acknowledge that the gift is real and receive it, and the Holy Spirit helps you to do even that. So how do we react when someone gives us a gift? Oh, you shouldn't have. Well, if you are in touch with what your before Jesus picture looked like, then you can't say that. That before picture wasn't pretty. You were the walking dead, buried by your sin, the kind you can see and the kind you can't, subject to being tempted and overpowered by evil, following wrong paths and meaningless pursuits, indulging yourself as if that were the purpose of life. But... God, out of sheer mercy, love, and kindness, has poured out the riches of his grace in Jesus Christ. And having received that gift, we are different. How we are different is the last piece of this puzzle. In the after picture, we are new creations. We still have personhood and agency, just like we did in the before pictures. But the experience in the middle changed us. The after-conversion person is still imperfect, but not alone. 
that person is forgiven and redeemed, made alive with, raised up with, and seated with the risen Christ. Baptism is the sacrament where we express and experience the spiritual reality of dying with Christ and rising with him. This week, I got an email from a friend who was baptized recently after a very long stretch of God working in him and on him. And that news was pure joy. After more than seven decades on this planet, by grace through faith, he came to see the gift in front of him and receive it. Much as we like to believe in self-transformation, no one can make the journey from a way of life that is marked by death to a new life single-handedly. It takes the power of God to break the deadly patterns of the old life, and often it takes other people lovingly and patiently pointing to God at work and pointing toward the possibility of new life in Christ. Michelangelo took a rejected, imperfect piece of marble, which had been poorly worked on by two lesser sculptors, and passionately worked that raw material into a new creation, the statue of David. We are no more capable of casting off the power of sin and becoming new spiritual creations than that marble was of carving itself. However, the last verse of this passage makes it clear that the purpose of God's saving work in us is not so we can look good like David. It says, We were created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. Doing good is part of the Christian life because it's the natural outcome of life in Christ. We're not trying to rack up good deeds on a scale against bad deeds. Grace saves us from living under the burden of works righteousness. By grace we have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. The gospel says, you were before, but God, and now we are after. We still tend to get this mixed up. We would prefer to think that we did not contribute to the unflattering, sinful before picture. And we would prefer to think that we did contribute to our salvation by our effort and all the good things we do. So one more time, by grace, we have been saved through faith. And this is not our own doing. It is the gift of God. We were in a place of our own making in a fallen world. But God did something amazing in Jesus Christ to offer humanity forgiveness and a future we couldn't craft on our own. Now we are remade and repositioned to fulfill God's calling on our lives.
Before and after pictures are so satisfying. To God be the glory for the most important change of all. Let's pray. Loving and merciful God, thank you that you never leave us as you find us. Today, if there is anyone listening who feels stuck and trapped in life before Jesus, please help them to receive the gift of new life that you are offering right now. If there is anyone who has forgotten who they would be without you, remind them of how far you have brought them. If there is anyone who believes they must save themselves, overwhelm them by your power and grace. If there is anyone who has lost their sense of purpose, please show them the way of life you have prepared for them. In Jesus' name, amen.